Welcome to Found in Conversation, the podcast that pushes intellectual frontiers and promotes the values of long-term thinking, independence, entrepreneurship, and responsibility. I'm Edie Lush, your host. In this episode, we explore how one London museum is bringing art beyond gallery walls. This is an episode about the relationship between art, innovation, responsible investment, and social change. In fact, this episode was inspired by a comment that my guest, Bettina Korak, made when she started her new role as CEO of The Serpentine, moving from Los Angeles to London. She said, some of the most compelling qualities of LA are embodied by The Serpentine as an institution. Intrepid innovation, fluidity across disciplines, and irrepressible preoccupation with the future. The Serpentine is a museum surrounded by the greenery of Kensington Gardens that has presented contemporary art since 1970. We program exhibitions in two buildings and an annual architecture commission, but we also do so much supporting work with artists engaging with emerging technologies that goes far beyond the gallery walls. We'll also hear how finance is responding to some of the same challenges that artists are, how it's working to further social progress, addressing the challenges of the present and future through creativity and collaboration. Joining Bettina and I today in conversation is Dina D'Angelo. I'm a managing director here in the London office of Picte Wealth Management. So Bettina, as a fellow Californian in London, I'm always curious to understand why other people from the Golden State want to move to this part of the world. It was really all about the serpentine. I never imagined leaving Los Angeles and so much of my career really reflects the ethos of LA, this kind of incredibly spread out metropolis, which is really characterized by many creative worlds. And I really found that also to be the case in London. There's such an incredible ecosystem of schools, especially for fashion, art, architecture, design. And I've really enjoyed coming here. There was definitely a little bit of um, trepidation being an American in London, but I found it to be just incredible. Dina, tell us about your career journey. Well, most of it actually has has now been in the UK. I was schooled in the US and Europe when I was younger. And early on in my career in New York City, three years in, the firm that I was working for asked me if I wanted to do a, a short stint in London. So of course, I jumped at that. And then two years became four years. And then, you know, it became, you know, most of my life has been here. So in a way, it was coming home. So Dina, let's turn to innovation. And you used a phrase in a piece that you wrote recently in regards to how you see the next generation wanting to put their wealth to work. And I really liked it. You called it responsible innovation. Tell me what you mean by that. So, you know, throughout my career, I've been very lucky to be able to work with entrepreneurs who are clients. And I do a lot of work with multiple generations. So patriarchs and matriarchs all the way down the line. And over the last years, it has emerged that the younger generation has become very engaged in what their passions are and how they want to make a difference in the world today. And, you know, that's such a privileged position for us to be in. And it's incredible to hear young people talk about their interest in gene therapy or robotics or food scarcity and 
how can they learn more about that through their investments and have an impact on that? I mean, that's how you change things. We have a very uh, wonderful young lady who is from the Middle East and noticed in the area that she grew up in, there were lots of illnesses that were passed on through genetics and not much research going into those those illnesses. So she really wanted to look at the biotech sector, the startup sector, what companies are making inroads into these illnesses and the drugs and the therapies that are going to tackle that in the future. I have another young man who's very interested in robotics in the retail space. He happened to be in Tokyo and went into a a shop and everything was done by a robot, even the ordering of his latte. And it looked beautiful. That was very important to him. The aesthetic of the robotics was very important to him. So he's focused on that with his funds. So it's fascinating. And innovation is happening at the grassroots level. It's no longer just this, you know, big term out there. It is happening by individuals in their communities all around the world. Bettina, how does that phrase responsible innovation sit with you and what you do at the Serpentine? It's so interesting. One of the sort of reasons for our art technologies department for being is the idea that artists need to have a seat at the table as innovation and technology is happening. Uh, One great example of that is artists that we're working with on an AI project next year, Matt Dryhurst and Holly Herndon. And Matt wrote a really interesting piece about AI and the problem of consent. He talks about how in the machine learning era, any kind of expression or piece of media can be recast for AI and it can be used to spawn infinite artworks. But, you know, he really concludes that artists aren't in danger of being replaced by AI because Artistic practices are so much more complex than a style that can just be mimicked. And what we value about art is more social than we often acknowledge. And this social value of art is so key here. Matt and Holly talk about a choir, for example, and you can use a data set to spawn a choir, but it kind of defeats the purpose of the kind of participatory and ecstatic value of choirs. And when we think about our mission to build new connections between artists and society, aligning with artists' point of view about AI like this is really key to how we can sustain the future of artists. And it's critical to what Dina's called responsible innovation. So let's look at some other work that you've done recently. Tomas Saraceno is a multimedia artist and his work embraces interdisciplinarity and the interconnectedness of different ecosystems. I know that both Dina and I visited the Webs of Life exhibit in the summer of 2023, has a few different dimensions exploring this idea of multi-species encounters. Talk us through what he was exploring there. 
Well, Thomas really wanted to explore how it's possible to make a more responsible and more responsive approach to one's actions in relation to other people, to interspecies cohabitation, and to climate injustice. And as you probably experienced when you visited the exhibition, it was inside the gallery, it was outside the gallery, it was in the park. And Thomas brought the kind of unique location of the serpentine in this incredibly biodiverse habitat into the exhibition and conceived of it as a living organism. So the show itself was open to animals. Part of the gallery was open to the park and we welcomed people bringing their dogs in. We had some birds that came to visit and we had this incredible sculpture in it that was this sort of vertical utopia and proposed this idea of what if we intentionally created habitats for all of these animals to live on top of each other? Now, it's a provocation. And I think, you know, what Thomas did with his show was he also totally challenged not only the way audience think of what they're going to experience with an art exhibition, but also the way that we operate. We installed solar panels to offset the, the power that we were using. People were able to ride bicycles to uh, make it possible for them to hear a recording. It responded to the weather. So when it was too hot outside, parts of the exhibition were closed. And Thomas was trying to kind of use every touch point to raise audiences awareness, both of each other, other forms of life that we cohabitate with, and also how climate change is going to affect our day-to-day -day lives. So there's another exhibit I'd like to explore, and that's Brazilian artist Gabriel Massan and his third world bottom dimension. And this is a video game that explores how the rich world extracts value out of poorer countries. That's one side of it. And its design is fantastical. It's a little bit spooky, depending on how you view it. Why were you keen to work with Gabrielle? Gabrielle is such an interesting artist and also represents a very innovative process for Serpentine in the sense that we worked with Gabrielle in an iterative way. First, sort of supporting the development of the concept of this game, then producing the game, and then deciding that it should also be an exhibition. And this collaboration really tested um, the potential of cooperative creativity. We worked internally to build a team around Gabriel and their collaborators and brought in a blockchain partner, Tezos, that's not only a supporter, but is a collaborator in how we can, you know, bring Gabriel's consciousness raising game that, as you said, explores the Black, Indigenous, Brazilian experience and really is meant to kind of challenge concepts like nature and knowledge but for people who couldn't come to the exhibition, the game is available for free around the world. And this was the first time that Gabrielle had had this support structure around them to really explore the potential of what it means to create a global video game. And the story won't end within the exhibition. And, you know, Dina said something also that was so interesting about our end users. And that's also very relevant to how the Serpentine approaches our um, entire program. Um, our arts technologies team coined the phrase, the user experience of art. And this idea of decentering the, 
unique work of art as the main point of output and thinking about how users experience art over time holistically. And so as an institution, how do we decenter the exhibition as the main form of output and support artists engaging with end users over time? And this video game with Gabrielle is such a big milestone in the way that we want to continue to work with artists in the future. Dina, how do you approach engagement with your clients? You know, the term engagement, I think, is really important for both our businesses because how people engage with us is so critical to the future of our businesses, really, because you're trying hard to get people to engage in subjects that are maybe complex and maybe hard to understand but you still need that engagement. You still need that education because people are so much better after education when they understand what goes into the investment equation and also what goes into the art equation. That's when they really start to innovate and create in their own minds and see possibilities. And we're also trying to bring that engagement that we you and I are doing individually with our me with my trustees and major donors and you with your clients and collaborators. And we're very interested, you know, in the fact that we haven't fully realized the potential for decentralized technologies like blockchain to enable new forms of ownership and patronage for artists. Um, we talked about the Thomas Saraceno show and, you know, we actually had a sort of pilot program of a partial common ownership model to raise funds for Salinas Grande communities that Thomas is so engaged with. And so that experiment started with the show and we'll continue to support it to explore if this is a model that we can sustain over time. You know, I mentioned Gabriel Masson and Tezos, you know, we're inviting guests to mint their memories for the game. And again, seeing how that evolves over time is an opportunity for us to explore the full potential of decentralized technology to be harnessed for art patronage so that we can bring that personal kind of engagement to a broader audience and hopefully produce new and sustainable models for supporting artists. Dina, you wrote something that really struck me. We're a digital world away from how our oldest citizens were brought up. COVID showed us how fast we can adapt when pushed, but it was and is hardest of all for the eldest among us. People born in the 30s and the early 40s, members of the silent generation. And I do wonder if they sometimes feel silent right now. I wonder, and I'd love you both to speak to this, how do you keep them more seasoned among us, included in a digital world? So, you know, digital technology has become critical to younger generations. They want to see their information quickly on their phones. And, you know, Pictet has done an amazing job at, at making that possible. We, however, honor our roots and honor really all our clients in making sure that the individual is at the center of everything we do. And there is no substitution for personal connection. There just isn't, whether it's on your, there just isn't a, a substitute for that. So we make sure that we have the time to meet 
those people who may not like to be part of the digital revolution. That's what makes us unique here, and I think will make us unique far into the next generation. And Dina, your point about, you know, honoring Pictet's roots with the individual always at the center, it's also so relevant to the Serpentine's approach of the user experience of art and putting that viewer at the center. And I think the way that translates for us is the Serpentine, the South Gallery was actually a tea house. It was a place for gathering. And it's been interesting how many artists are constantly referencing that history. So we too are always looking to honor our roots as a physical place. And whether it's Gabrielle Masson's exhibition or we were the first museum recreated in Fortnite, but fundamentally that was a physical exhibition of paintings and sculptures in the gallery. You could augment your experience with AR, go into Fortnite and experience the museum there, but it was also really about mixed reality and that we can't let go of the physical, of the in-person exchange we can't let technology take over that. So we share that approach in terms of always wanting to have the full user experience, whether that means people will only come to the gallery or they'll come to the gallery and use all of the technical sort of add-ons as well. Walter Benjamin used to talk about the aura of the object, of being there with it. Mm -hmm. And some of the things that you've done, Bettina, there is no it there. So in the Radio Ballads project, you worked for three years with communities in Barking and Dagenham, vibrant multicultural community, also one of the most deprived areas in the United Kingdom. Nearly half the children there are living in poverty. It has one of the biggest council estates in the country. So this project looked at who cares for whom and in what way. Tell us about it and what, what came out of this project. Well, part of the, you know, serpentine ethos is thinking imaginatively about how we serve our communities. And we're focused on just as much as we want to expand through technology, we want to deepen our roots locally. And Radio Ballads was the culmination of a three-year partnership with the borough of Barking and Dagenham. And as you said, this is a, a very challenged borough. And the show was inspired by a BBC radio program of the same name that was the first time the voices of working class Britons were on the radio. And so the, the idea was how do we support artists in creating a snapshot, a portrait of what life is like now? So Sonia Boyce, Helen Kamek, Rory Pilgrim, and Alona Sagar each produced bodies of work through their collaborations with social workers, residents, and they told stories of labor. As you said, who cares for who and why? Um, we were so thrilled that Roy Pilgrim's project was actually nominated for the Turner Prize. And it created a context for the artists to work very closely with communities. And they all had different outputs, whether that was choir singing that took place, small conversations that happened over time, and they were recorded in different ways. So the artists made films and audio works, paintings, and it was a multimedia experience that was shown at the borough 
embarking, but it was also shown at the Serpentine. So there was a really important feedback loop in that we supported artists going into the community. And then we brought that project to the Serpentine. And I think the success of the project is really owed to that long-term commitment. And again, to Dina's point, you can't substitute personal connection or time. And I think there was real life in the project because there was space for that trust to build through personal connection and time. I love that idea about building trust. It's like the dark matter of our society. Dina, speak about how you measure impact. It's, I imagine, much easier to measure a portfolio impact, but what about some of the, the clients that you are working with, the, the client who's interested in food scarcity, food security, on your, your clients who are interested in genetics as well? You know, I guess on a macro level in the investment world, the investment world is, a, is an incredible lens on what is happening uh, globally. You know, it ebbs and it flows and we see tangibly, you know, where world problems are, where world advances are. I guess really how all of us feel about our clients is that they stay with us year after year through market cycles, ups and downs, and they continue to place their trust in us to get them through those, those ups and downs. And, you know, there's nothing greater than a client coming to the table and saying to any of us, any of my colleagues, you know what, this is really what I'm interested in. I understand global investment, but this is really what I'm in, interested in. And I would really like to have an impact on this. How can you, Picte, help me? That, for us, is has the greatest impact on us, that we are able to create and innovate something that that answers that question for them and see it through over a very long period of time. So Bettina, I'd love you to cast your gaze forward and think about the future of what you're doing at the Serpentine and the future of, of the museum, the role of the museum as well. Where do you think it's going? I think museums will continue to be places where society comes together. One of the most precious things about contemporary art is that we have stakeholders with such different perspectives and value systems, and it continues to be a place for dialogue. What's happening as museums with collections manage those physical demands of caring and presenting a collection and balance that with as I mentioned, these more society, societally oriented goals, there's going to have to be an evolution in how we support and sustain that activity. And the Serpentine is in a very unique position because we don't have a collection and we can be quite flexible to the moment. So we're really thinking about, as I mentioned earlier, how we deepen our roots locally, but expand globally through technology. And having dropped galleries from our names as part of our 50th anniversary, how do we become a, a global brand with an engaged audience that is ultimately supporting the work that we do here in London? Tina, let's finish with you. Where do you see the future of your industry and what's going to change? Well, I think the investment industry will always be at the forefront of innovation. 
because, you know, on the, on the macro level, companies are adjusting uh, their priorities every day. They are adjusting how they do business and, and we are an investor in that. And so they see the big changes that are happening in the world and where the world needs to get to on a micro level. So on our clients level, I think individuals and their ideas and creativity and financing of things is critical to the future. I think change happens at an individual level, which impacts communities. And then when communities change, bigger parts of society change. And so, you know, the investment world has a huge role to play in it that and and I would say, in fact, is at the forefront of it. Dina and Bettina, thank you so much for joining me on Found in Conversation. It's been a real pleasure and I look forward to seeing you at the Serpentine very soon. Thank you so much for having us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to participate in this discussion. Bettina's comment about thinking imaginatively about how she and the Serpentine serve their communities better together with Dina's observation that when communities change, bigger parts of society change, seems particularly important today. And I love the concept of how we can expand our influence and reach in order to encourage social change, both through technology, while also maintaining and deepening local, in-person roots. How it's true for both art and finance. So my thanks to both of my guests today, as well as to you in the audience for listening. If you liked this episode, please do subscribe to get the next one, give it five stars, and share it with someone that you think might enjoy it as well. And I look forward to our next encounter.